good source there, by the way, too, right? So the GenSpec, GenSpec News. If you're interested in this topic, GenSpec News is kind of an aggregate of a lot of these stories um, that are going around. And they're talking about, for example, people that regret uh, transitioning, for example. You know, those sort of stories that you don't hear or, you know, stuff like that. They have a lot of good stories on that. I gen spec. Because that's one headline. Here's another headline. You can see this. And this is just two tweets. And I want to point out the dates on these two tweets. Okay. Same day, one at 4 p.m., one at 4.34 p.m. So the U.S. Navy is celebrating Pride Month and using kind of what I would call the typical postmodern verbiage. As we have, you know, strength in our diversity or we're strengthened by our differences. Very, very common phraseology in a lot of these kind of modern conversations. And then literally 30 minutes later, NATO's talking about the growth of the Chinese military. And the contrast of these trees is pretty amazing. You know what I'm saying? Like just what they're trying to project. I'm not making a political statement in terms of Democrat, Republican. That's not what this is. I'm just telling you that within 30 minutes, basically, of each other, look at the contrast of the messages being sent around the world. There's something going on in the West. And by the West, I mean the United States, Europe, Australia, New Zealand, what we kind of traditionally call Western civilization. And these were two tweets that were just this past summer that you can kind of see in contrast to each other. And this is typical. I mean, I'm just this is just a representative sample. You can see more of these and just see these contrasts and these kind of clash of cultures and worldviews. Again, the military doing this publicly. This is the U.S. Navy's official Twitter. This isn't just like a commander. This isn't, you know, an admiral or somebody who's tasked with diversity and inclusion in the Navy. You know, this is the official Navy account. You can see it on the top. Um, that's kind of publishing this. So this is this is an interesting time. Okay, here's another one too. If you want to see, I got another headline here. First boy to win homecoming queen. You read that? I don't know if you saw this yet. This was in Columbia, Missouri, and um, you can go look this up. And this is actually from their local NBC affiliate. You can see it in the upper left, the little NBC logo up there. But the first boy to win the homecoming queen at Rockbridge makes his mark beyond the crown. And there's a whole story where they interview him, and you can see there was a there was a he has like a million TikTok followers. And so that should tell you already that there's probably a little more going on than just a simple person who's struggling. He had a million TikTok followers before this even happened. So this is somebody who had already created a sort of mini celebrity influence for himself. And then this was kind of his, uh, his response. So again, of course, this is celebrated because why? Because this is a triumph of the modern self. This is why. This is the result of long, but really about 200 years plus <laughs> worth of thinking that has kind of impacted us. Because this right here is the definition of expressive individualism. Think about it, right? Expressing outwardly what one feels inwardly. So if I feel feminine and I feel like a girl, then I should be homecoming queen even though I'm a male, right? There you go, okay? Or happiness is an inward sense of psychological well-being. So we go back to that screen. He's, this is just part of a long street. You see what I mean? If you understand that about the modern self, these sort of headlines actually kind of make sense. We may not agree with it. It might kind of disturb some, or it might seem bizarre or just weird or just kids being kids or however you want to process it. Some people might think it's a victory, whatever. My point is, is that if you understand the modern self, these sort of headlines that we're seeing here, not just that one, but these sort of tweets from the Navy and also this one here, right, about gender transitioning at a 13-year-old without even talking to the parents, all of these headlines makes sense if you think that the goal of modern individualism is to express yourself to be authentic your authentic you if you buy that then this makes sense so just again showing you why this is so relevant and then the other parts of this and this is what i really want to kind of focus on today this is just a reminder to show you why we're doing this you know current events is these next two we spent a lot of time the last two weeks on the imminent frame this is the idea 
that we are bound by the limits of the natural world. Marx believed this. Uh, Freud, when we get to Freud, believed this. Charles Darwin, of course, believed this. You need a naturalistic explanation for everything. So Freud initially, now, of course, most people dismiss Freud now or said his theories don't work or they're crackpot or they're pseudo psychology or whatever. I'm not saying that people listen to him that much, but it's a revolution of thought that's important with Freud. He's influential in that sense. Not most people don't hold to his theories anymore. Um, but the idea of the sexualized self that comes from Freud and he's piggybacking off of this imminent frame idea. So if everything is understood in terms of the limits of the natural world. So we talked we, again with Marx. You have to measure it. You have to experiment on it. You, you don't. It has to be scientific sounding. You have to use your five senses. And if it doesn't belong in that those categories, it therefore doesn't exist or we just simply can't know it. OK, so that's the imminent frame. And so now the last one that we're going to pivot to, and I'm going to spend some time talking about, I'm going to use what would you say for a couple examples of this, because I want to use, and, and because it's in the news so much, the, the transgender moment that we're in right now, I want to kind of use that as an example because it's something that's all in our brains and in the news. But I could use other examples as well to show how this has happened, how the modern self, because we have an imminent frame and we're not accountable to any sort of transcendent order, and because it's about expressive individualism, because it's about an inner sense of psychological well-being, why this is the logical next step. Okay, so I want to kind of frame that a little bit. And so again, the effects of the sexual revolution dominate. That is the fourth point about the modern self. And the way Truman says that in his videos, as sex has ceased to be something that we do to become something that we are. And that is a huge, huge fundamental shift and the way people understand the modern self. Most people did not think that way really until the late 1800s, early 1900s, right? You read 1 Corinthians, you read Romans 1, very clear that there are a whole varieties of sexual uh, behaviors that were going on in the ancient world, okay? Greece, Rome, China. It's not like this is, none of this is secret, right? What's changed is those behaviors are now defining us who we are as people. And that's the shift. So I'm gonna give you a couple of things today to maybe think about to maybe help some help you process through, but also maybe when you're talking to your neighbors, have an alternative worldview that I think is based on a scripture. And that's why I'm going to introduce something called natural law to some of you. If you've never heard of natural law before, it's actually a biblical category, but it's something that Western civilization really built on for really over 2000 years. And so going back to the ancient Greeks and also the Romans and many others, but I don't want to go too fast. So if I don't get through all of it today, I reserve the right to kind of continue next week and before we do Oscar Wilde and aesthetics is truth. Okay, so let's talk about this a little bit and talk about this word autonomy. So if you haven't heard the word the autonomy before, the modern self is also the autonomous self. And I gave you a, a variety of definitions on your handout there, um, but they're also gonna be on your screen. So the quality or state of being self-governing, especially the right of self-government, you're going to find that this word isn't all bad. This is one of those words where there could be good definitions and bad definitions. So, for example, in when it comes to uh, health policy, the state of Idaho has a certain amount of autonomy. Right. Does that make sense? So it's not necessarily a bad or a good thing. It just that's just a factual description of how Idaho <laughs> operates. Or like in Spain, there are autonomous regions in Spain that have a lot of self-government. Right. Like Catalonia or wherever. So those I'm not. So in other words, the word itself is not necessarily bad. But when applied to the individual in a radical way, that's when we have a problem. So again, the word itself isn't all bad. Here, here, here's some other ones, right? Self-directing freedom, especially moral independence or self-law or self-determination. 
that all goes all the way back to World War One, right? The 14 points of Woodrow Wilson. Every people and culture should have the right of self-determination. World War One. That's why those empires in Europe got broke apart uh, because of Woodrow Wilson and others making those sort of arguments. So the political aspect of these aren't necessarily all bad. They're just a description of certain political philosophies. What's going to happen, though, is when it's applied to the modern self, is it becomes radicalized. And so then it means, think about the word, this, in particular, the third one there, self-law. You see where this is going to go with the modern self? I am a law unto myself, including some, some other things. But that's what the word autonomy means. It just simply means rule by the self or rule by a group in itself. Okay, so autos meaning one or the self in Greek. Okay, so the autonomous self is almost like saying, it's almost a... Uh, uh, a, a repetition of the word, right? Here we go. Next. So there we go. So the good and the bad. So I gave you some good ones. And again, they're going to pop up on your screen, but also uh, in the handout that I gave you. So some autonomy could be good, like freedom of the press, freedom of the speech, freedom to pursue your vocation. That, those are good versions of autonomy. How do I live out the life God has given me? You know, what college do I go to? Or what job do I say yes to? Or what interviews do I apply for? That's good autonomy. That We can agree with that. Um, or things like people having political rights and having freedom of conscience or determining your treatment op options. I have cancer. Which, which version of cancer treatment should I receive? Right. That's good autonomy. Okay. And so that's not what we're talking about in this version of autonomy. I'm just trying to define our terms as best as we can. So this is where I sound like the ancient Greeks, because if we're going to use this, if we're going to use these terms, we have to be on the same page in what dictionary we're choosing. Uh, otherwise, we're going to start talking past each other. So I am not talking about political autonomy or uh, vocational autonomy or medical autonomy where you're, you're choosing things for yourself. That's not what this is about. What it's really about is this form of autonomy. And you're going to see this on your screen now. And that's the autonomy of the self. So you get to determine your own reality. You get to determine your own truth. Sometimes I call this radical libertarian independence, meaning as long as you are not hurting somebody else, you can do whatever you want, including using illicit drugs, sleeping with whoever you want. It doesn't matter. As long as you don't hurt anybody else. And the only law, there's a famous philosophy, it's called anarcho-capitalism. The only law is the market, for example. Okay, that's when we're starting to get to something that is at variance with the Christian worldview now, because now you're a god unto yourself. You're on an island. And you can now you can voluntarily associate with others under this system, but... You can see how these kind of can, can disconnect. Um, you know, when scripture says obey the king or be subject to the governing authorities, we're going to start running into some conflict on that one. But the first two really are the modern self. Think about it. Is not determining your own reality and determining your own truth expressive individualism? Is not the idea that uh, you have an inner sense of psychological well-being, so you determine your reality and your truth based on that inner sense? The answer is absolutely yes. So this is where these are related terms. This is what I mean by the autonomous self. And then number four is the imminent frame. See that? Denying dependency. There is no God or nature or like things that I'm accountable for because the material world is all there is. I'm not dependent on anybody else. I'm just dependent on myself. And so that's part of this autonomous self. And so that leads to, of course, cultural, moral, and ethical relativism. And I gave you a great example of this from a Supreme Court justice of all the people that you would want stability in law from it would hopefully be the highest court in the land right well unfortunately the highest court in the land since 1993's decision planned parenthood versus casey has bought into some of this autonomous self and I, I put the quote on your sheet i'm gonna put this on the screen too and i said the supreme court becomes postmodern as a quote like really think about the quote that uh, justice anthony kennedy gave us here 
in this decision on Planned Parenthood versus Casey. At the heart of liberty is the right to define one's own concept of existence, of meaning, of the universe, and the mystery of human life. Beliefs about these matters could not define the attributes of personhood were they formed under compulsion of the state. But in particular, the heart of liberty, then, if you can define your own existence, your own meaning, and the mystery of human life, why should I listen to him? Because I have a different definition than he does. You see the arbitrariness of this? The law is now arbitrary, right? So in my world, in my existence, I don't have to listen to the Supreme Court. It's, it's, he's undermining his own position, because if he's speaking from a position of law, and then he's saying reality itself and the concept of existence, existence and meaning is up to you and your own personal liberty, well, my personal liberty says that I'm going to ignore you, Justice Kennedy. See the problem here? We're, we're creating now in law, in, in the majority opinion in the Supreme Court, this idea that you get to determine truth, you get to determine reality, you get to determine existence. So, and again, I'm not even, this isn't, I'm not even taking a position on abortion with this, if you notice this. What I'm really focusing on is the modern self idea, the autonomous self. And so according to the highest court in the United States, you can define your reality for yourself. This is the definition of the autonomous individual expressive individualism now at the court level. Some of you in here are doctors or, or, or nurses or teach at ISU. You can see this logic all over the place, right? <laughs> I'm, I'm just curious, you don't, have to, you don't have to raise your hand, but I'm sure some of you already have had been requested by administration to change your, your pronouns and your bio on the website where it says he, her, her, hers, or yeah, yeah. right? That's coming. If you haven't had to do that now, of course, here at Grace, we don't have to do that, but it's coming if you haven't, or you just get asked it all the time. And if you don't, Twitter has an option, Facebook has an option, um, those sort of things. So I want to kind of get into why this is a thing and talk about natural law a little bit via our transgender moment. But am I, am I making sense so far where we're at? This is why, yeah, go ahead, Luther. So, I mean, even at the highest level of the Supreme Court, they've got, imagine these people meeting together, discussing some of these radical things are, that they're about to say that have changed from decades ago. You'd think there'd be some debates that would actually challenge that to say, okay, if we continue to go in this direction, there's no more law. I mean, right. the Supreme Court doesn't even have a reason to exist anymore. Well, what it becomes is what is known as positive law rather than natural law. So natural law, and if you don't know that term, positive law is basically law as determined by the majority or law as determined <laughs> by happenstance or circumstance. In other words, it's not like there's this universal principle, right? It's more of just something that we kind of do. It's kind of pragmatic. It's just whatever works at the time is the law. I'm, I'm not, I mean, that's really where we're at, is that's kind of pragmatism becomes the law as opposed to a universal standard, okay? Because that's, it's, and it's very American, right? Whatever works is what works, <laughs> okay? So, but that's where we're headed. You're right, that's where, I mean, that's where we're headed. Okay, so... I want to give you a solution, and that's a biblical solution, and that's called natural law. If you don't know this, we need to recover this um, a little bit, because I'm going to assume, and the reason I'm doing this right now is when we get to all the sexualized stuff that we're going to get to here next with Truman's work, is I'm going to take a position. I'm going to assume the position of natural law. And so in order for me to do that, I want you to know what I mean by that. Okay, And so it's not, for example, if we see two monkeys doing it, therefore it's natural. That's not what I mean by natural law. Are you with me on this? Just because you observe something in nature doesn't mean that that's inherently a legal, a lawful action. Natural law is not just things you see in nature. If that were the case, I should go out and kill the weak and then, you know, take over their territory because that's what the animals do. Okay, that's not, 
It's not natural law. Okay? That's not what I mean by it, just to tell you what it's not. And so we get this passage. Oops, I'm sorry. I posted that one twice. Here we go. From Romans 1, 18 to 26. This is worth reading in full here. And so I have this on your screen. Um, if you have your Bible, you can follow along. You don't need to, but it's on your screen. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth and unrighteousness, because what may be known by God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. So what Paul is saying is that there's a certain amount of knowledge about God and the way the universe functions just by being alive in the universe. They're without, see that? They're without excuse because of the creation, which would also include our reason and our consciences and our beliefs and our interactions with others, and also just observing nature and science and those sort of things. When you put that whole package together, the existence of God is obvious. <clears throat> it is clearly seen through that, not obfuscated, not hidden. His attributes are clearly seen. Now, this is not saving knowledge. I want to be clear on this. This is not salvation. But it's enough to know that there's a creator and a creator of power and a creator you're accountable to just by existing in the universe. This is what we mean by natural law or natural theology. The idea that there's a certain amount of information about God that even non-believers have. This is going to be key for us because some Christians say, well, they don't have the Bible, so who am I to judge? You know, that sort of thing. Like, no, they're bound by God's laws too. They just don't have Jesus. They don't have the scriptures. They have a certain amount of natural knowledge. Now, they may not like it. Why? Look at the beginning of this passage. They suppress it in unrighteousness. They don't want God telling them what to do. So they deny it or they reject it or come up with a whole theory of why it's wrong because they want to live according to their own ways of living. So they suppress it in unrighteousness, but it is still obvious to them. That's Paul's claim in Romans 1. Okay. They're without excuse because although they knew God, they did not glorify him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their thoughts and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. So they're worshiping the creation instead of the creator. If that is not the definition of the autonomous self or the modern self, I don't know what is because it's creatures worshiping themselves. Right? They're not worshiping the creator, they're worshiping themselves. I determine my reality. I determine my universe. I determine my existence. I determine what self-expression is. I determine what it is. And in fact, since I determine, I actually reverse it. Instead of saying, God, who have you made me to be? It's, I am X, therefore God made me this way. Do you see the difference in that? That's a huge difference. But instead of saying, God, how have you designed me? How can I know how to function as a human being? What does it mean to flourish as a human? Natural law is about human flourishing. That's something you're going to hear me say a lot. How do I function as a human to flourish? Instead, what I say to God is, well, this is how I express myself, so therefore God made me this way. So you actually are the, the, the determiner of reality, and because you want to keep God sort of, you therefore say he's blessing it. That's, that's how this works, right? Well, God doesn't make mistakes, so this is just who I am, so God must have made me this way. Pretty subtle, but you can see how we're reversing. We're not worshiping the creation and justifying it and saying God puts this, it's like God's our rubber stamp of approval. I've written my own legislation, and now God's just giving me his, his approval, as opposed to what is the transcendent source of meaning before all those things. Okay, so now it's again, this, you're starting with the self when you say it that way. Okay, that's one of the reasons why three or four weeks ago I did the doctrine of original sin, because the modern self cannot stand up with the doctrine of original sin. 
we can't have original sin because in original sin, that means the modern self is inherently selfish, corrupt and wicked. And so you can't trust yourself. Right. Being your authentic you means you're being an authentic sinner. Right. But if you get rid of original sin, then being your authentic you and the original sin is not inside. It's society stopping you from being your authentic self. That's a, that, I mean, we got to get this stuff right. We don't get this right stuff. We're not going to be able to answer the culture. We just we just will not be able to answer it if we don't get that right. Okay, so I'm continuing. There's more to this passage. Professing themselves to be wise, starting in verse 22, they became fools and changed the glory of the incorruptible God into an image made like the corruptible man and birds and four-footed animals and creeping things. Next. Sorry, it's lagging on my screen. I don't want to like turn my head around. But there go. Therefore, God gave them up to uncleanness and the lusts of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves who exchanged the truth of God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. Then look at the result. For this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for what is against nature. Likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust for one another, men with men committing what is shameful and receiving in themselves the penalty of their error, which was due. So this is a result of what happened before. So, right? so why does this stuff that is underlined happen? Because of what has already happened in their minds, rejecting the creation, creator and worshiping the creation. And because of that, God gives them up, and this is the fruit of that giving up. So in other words, this isn't the cause of it. It's actually the result of it. Are you following me? Because if you follow the order of this passage, the logic of Paul's argument, notice that he also uses the words, in particular, natural and unnatural. Do you see that? This is what we mean by natural law, that there's a natural use and an unnatural use. So Romans 1 is a very key passage for us in establishing natural law. I'm not going to spend a lot of time today talking about same-sex behavior or anything. I'm just showing you that Paul appeals to natural law. He appeals to the use of reason and the idea that everybody has access to this, uh, this knowledge in the entire world. Because he's writing primarily about Gentiles at this point. They don't have the Old Testament law. They don't have priests telling them what God's will is. They don't have the prophets. They just simply have their reason and creation. And Paul is still indicting them for it. In Romans 2, he'll say, you Jews, you're not any better either. Nobody's exempt. Does that make sense? So that's where he's going to go. Nobody's exempt. We're all guilty of these things. In fact, Ephesians 2, the passage that uh, Pastor Danger is using as his primary text today for Reformation Sunday, says similar things. We're all children of wrath. It's almost identical. It's the same author. It's still Paul. But we're all born children of wrath. And he says we all are. Like he's talking about Jews and Gentiles again in Ephesians 2. Ephesians 2 and Romans 1 really do supplement each other. So I recommend in your own personal study time, take Romans 1. Take Ephesians 2 and read them simultaneously. It'll be very helpful because it's, it really does kind of help buttress what Paul is saying here. So again, natural and unnatural. There are other passages also like Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The firmament declares his handiwork. Those passages, that seems to indicate that there's a certain amount of knowledge of God or glory of God that's just declared by creation. Right? The heavens declare the glory of God. Not... The scriptures declare the glory of God, and therefore we can interpret the heavens. No, the heavens themselves actually declare God's glory, which means there's, again, a certain natural knowledge. Again, not saving knowledge, but natural knowledge that's available. That's Psalm 19. There are numerous other psalms that have similar statements in this. But this is where we get the idea of natural law. And since people are created in God's image, now God's image has been corrupted and needs to be restored in Christ, of course. But because of that, they have access to this even in their fallen reason. They still have access to this, okay? So where do we go with this, and how does this kind of work, this idea of natural law? 
So what this asks is what is the essential nature of a thing? This is, I'm going to just introduce this. What is something by definition? What is its essential nature? What is the substance of that thing? That's what natural law does. So it's not asked, again, I, I can't, I kid you not how many people misunderstand this. It's adults, students, the media. Well, the, the elephants are doing it, so therefore it's natural. That is not what Christians mean by natural law, just to make sure we're clear on that. That is not what Christians mean by natural law. Instead, what it is, is it's asking, how can we know what the purposes and designs be th behind things are? What is the telos, the design? This actually leads you to arguments for the existence of God, teleological arguments, arguments from design, like the signature in the cell or the idea that everything that has a beginning has a cause. You know, those sort of mean, design arguments, the fine tuning of the universe, same word. Okay. But the end, what is its design, its purpose, or its end? That's the idea of natural law. So following people like the Greek Aristotle, but then the Christian Aquinas, we ask these questions about every object or everything that we see in the universe. Here's your questions that you're supposed to ask, and they're printed on your sheet as well. So you have a material cause. What is it made of? A formal cause. What's the shape of it? What's the design of it? An efficient cause. Who or what caused it? And then finally, the most important thing, what is the final cause? So, sorry, I'm going to go back. Sorry, didn't mean to do that. How does this apply to human sexuality? What's its final cause? So if you ask these questions about human sexuality, the material and gender and those sort of things, according to what we would say the, the scriptures say about natural law and also the great tradition of Western Civ, this is how we've answered those questions traditionally. We ask all these questions. So when it comes to human sexuality and gender, how do we look at this? Okay, that's, that's the idea. So let's just do this as a little exercise. I could spend three weeks just teaching this topic in natural law, but I want to introduce it to show you this is one of our solutions. Now, of course, we just say the Bible's a solution, and that's not wrong. It's Reformation Sunday. We stand on the word alone. You know, I'm not, not criticizing that. But when we engage with the culture for people who don't believe and for people who are not Christians, this is a way to speak to them in a way that they can at least understand even if they don't believe in the resurrection or something. You know what I mean? So this is an axis. Say, I hold to a natural law position. What's your position? See what I mean? So this is this can help us have a, dis a discussion. That's why I'm giving you this. Okay. Right. Next thing. So how does this apply to uh, natural law and human sexuality? Let's look through these. And again, they're on your sheet. So the material cause, this would be like the actual flesh, the sex cells, you know, Y and X chromosomes, the actual organs. That's the material cause. That's the, that's the most basic natural cause. Now, if you're somebody who believes in the imminent frame, you don't go much further than this. See, <clears throat> you start here, but that's about it. Because, well, that's all there is. We can't really know much beyond that, so this is all we have. That's why on, like, sexual matters, it's almost viewed medically almost every time, rather than spiritually or emotionally and stuff like that. It's like, we have a medical problem, so there's a pill for that. See what I mean? Because it's medical, because it's scientific, and this is the material world's all there is. There's something wrong with your chemicals, so we just need to rearrange your chemicals. Because that's all there is. I know Dr. Willie recognizes this really well. Because <laughs> he deals with this all the time. Just give me a pill, Doc. All I am is just a machine, right? Just a machine, biological machine. Then there's the formal cause, the anatomy, the physiology. Okay, there's your body parts, but it's also, you know, your parents, okay, your efficient cause, God, parents, nature, depending on how you answer that. So you have different causes. So not only do you have those body parts and you have those materials, the flesh, the chromosomes, you also have its overall structure. So the actual body parts themselves, the boy parts and girl parts, to be kind of, you know, childish about it. But you have the boy parts and the guy parts, right? Any anatomy textbook what every kindergartner learns, that sort of thing, okay? 
Then you have the efficient cause. Where did it come from? And so it came from your parents or it came from God in our case, or it came from nature because nature makes males and females, right? That's generally how we look at that. So that's the, that's the efficient cause. So then when you put all those things together, you get what we call the final cause or the T loss, the design. So why are those parts there? Why do they exist? What is their function? And their function is to make more humans. <laughs> okay, that seems obvious. But unfortunately, because if we're defining our own reality, then it can be whatever you want them to be. You can use them however you want them as long as you don't hurt anybody else. See what I mean? And so for us, we view a natural law. In other words, if their function is to do these things, that is the best use of those things. It's a very pragmatic philosophy. Okay, so reproduction, the unitive function, that means the man's made for the woman and the woman made for the man. Okay, and there's lots of interesting stuff. A doctor or a nurse or somebody can give you all the diff different reasons why a man and a woman are made for each other and what happens in those reproductive acts. There is actually things that happen chemically and hormonally that only happens with a man and a woman. And it only, it's the only place that that happens. Okay, you can't, there's no substitute for this. Okay, and so that's, what, and what we would say then is that is evidence for natural law, that that's the unitive function of a man and a woman. And that when they come together, certain things happen that only happen in that context. That's natural law. Does that make sense? You don't have to even appeal to the scripture for this. There's plenty of scientific evidence for this. I mean, ask, ask a nurse, ask a doctor, they'll tell you, well, the woman reduces this chemical and this chemical, which, which creates bonding. The man creates, gets protective instincts. I mean, there's all this stuff that goes on that happens in that bond. And we would say that is evidence of natural law. That's showing you the purpose of that. Does that make sense? So you don't get to define that. That is independent of the person. These are facts that exist in reality. That is natural law in action. So we would say it's T-loss. It's design is to make babies, right? And to bring together a man and a woman in a unitive way, the unitive function of male and female. Okay. And then if you want to go even further, that becomes the foundational unit for the polis, the city state. Now I'm going to sound Greek for a second, but the family, and this is biblical too. I could make this argument from scripture. When God creates Adam and Eve, he doesn't create a, he doesn't create like a king except for himself. Okay. He doesn't create a democracy. He creates a family, man, woman, be fruitful and multiply, rule the earth and subdue it, right? So the marriage and their kids is the first government, the first school, see what I mean? It's the family. So the foundational unit of, the, of society is a family, a family unit, man, woman, and kids. That's the foundational unit of society. So if you were, and that's, I'm going to sound conspiratorial here, you know, conspiracy. If you were to undermine society, what should you go after then? The family. Right? Yeah. Because that's the unit of society. That's your building block of society. If you have weak families, you're going to have a weak society. If you want to get rid of society, you get rid of the family. And that's what's been happening over the last 100 years. There's a reason that Marxists and some of these uh, kind of like playboy artists and others that we were, we're going to run into, like Oscar Wilde, viewed family and sexual mores as one of the number one things that we had to have a revolution on. Because that's the structure, that building block. We get rid of the building block. We can then get rid of the other cards. Now, I'm not saying that there's other, not other things. And I'm not saying that every single individual is called to be a wife or a husband. Not every individual. That's not what I'm saying. I'm just saying that how society is structured, going back to Genesis, is that idea of that family unit being that building block. God starts with a family. It is not good for man to be alone. Right? 
male and female, both in the image of God, in a unitive and procreative way. This is natural law. Now, I'm appealing to scripture there because we're in a Christian class. If you weren't with a Christian, you could just simply say the things that I was saying earlier. Reproduction, that's their purpose, that's their design, right? What people have said now is self-fulfillment. You have those body parts to fulfill your own desires and your own self. So whatever feels good for you is how you use them. That is not natural law. Now, now we're back to the autonomous self. So this is one of our big defines. This is so you may have somebody who doesn't buy this, and I'm I'm with you on this. I'm just giving you one tactic because one of the questions I've been asked the last few weeks is, what do we do? How do we answer this? One of my answers is we can appeal to natural law and say, and you may take some teaching because most people don't think this way, and the culture certainly doesn't think this way. But this is a recovery of really how Western civilization has thought really since the ancient Greeks. Okay, so this is this is how we think through this. So continuing. So acts and relationships then that conform to natural law or the telos are considered just natural or the good, the true, and the beautiful. So Paul in Romans 1, when he says natural and unnatural, he is assuming this sort of framework. Does that make sense? So in other words, when you act according to nature, you are acting according to natural law. And by doing so, that is inherently a just, right, good action because you're acting in conformity to the design that's given to you. Follow me on that? Anything that is not those things, therefore, is unjust or unnatural or, in our case, sinful. Okay, They are disordered or corrupted. The Roman Catholic Church, I'm going to say this right now, the Roman Catholic Church in its most traditional form, not the, I mean, there's over a billion of them, so you know, you're going to get a variety. That's a big ten. You're going to get a variety of different interpretations. But in its most traditional form, like if you read the Roman Catholic Catechism online, they speak in this language. So they'll say things on a lot of these hot button issues and say that these uh, these actions are intrinsically disordered. That's the words that you'll read in the catechism. They say it that way because they are big proponents of natural law. And so the action itself, because it doesn't conform to natural law, is therefore intrinsically disordered. Do you see why they talk that way? OK, and so now whether the current pope talks that way, that's a whole other thing. It's Reformation Sunday, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying that I'm a, I'm, I'm, a, I'm a proponent. I'm just saying that in its traditional form. They've thought about these issues in their catechism anyways, uh, much more than many Lutherans have. And one of our strengths is we stand in God's word. But unfortunately, one of our weaknesses is we often don't talk with these language, these, these terms. We actually have this theology in our documents. Um, I don't know if you know this, but the Lutheran Church, Missouri Synod, uh, released something called the Natural Knowledge of God. It was our CTCR, our theology group. They released an entire thing, and I might have it in my classroom somewhere called the natural knowledge of God. So our synod is a proponent of this. You may not know this, but our synod actually does, uh, actually says we agree with this, that in the kingdom of the left in particular, that's the kingdom of the sword, the government, that they should govern according to natural law. We say that. We just don't talk about it very much because as Pastor David was saying, we have a hard time getting Jesus right, let alone some of this other stuff, right? That's that's part of the problem, right? Is we have, is we have all these other things and we're not even getting Jesus right. So that's part of the reason we don't talk about it much. And in our church body here at Grace Lutheran, we only have like 15 to 20 percent, if that, cradle Luthers, right? So we're doing a lot of just teaching, a lot of teaching on, you know, foundations. But for those in a Sunday school, in this setting with a lot of mature believers, this is the sort of conversation, you know, we should be having. So again, so in other words, this is irony. So in 2015, and forgive me, I'm online, but I'm just going to be blunt on this one. In 2015, when the Supreme Court legalized same-sex marriage for everybody, there were people going around saying, justice, this is justice. And then the Roman Catholic bishops came out and said, this, this uh, decision is inherently unjust. See why? 
we have just different definitions of justice. We have different de definitions of freedom. We have different definitions of what it means to be human. And so under natural law, human flourishing is living according to design. Okay, so this is, this is a, I, 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 you can see I have fun in government class. We have talked about this all the time, but also in the, apologetics. This comes up both in theology class and in social studies because you can't have, this is a, a holistic worldview. You can't like have, well, this is what I believe on Sunday. And then when I go vote, I, you know, you know what I'm saying? It does not work that way. It is part of your entire reality. God rules the universe. Okay. So it's something we, again, we need to recover. All right. Next couple things here. Notice this includes everything, by the way. I'm not trying to single somebody out. This is everything from murder to stealing to lighting, anything in the Ten Commandments, right? Why is, for example, murder wrong? It is inherently unjust because it is not an action that conforms to design. See what I mean? So you can make a natural law argument against those sort of things. You're not allowing them to live out the purposes in their designs. And when you interrupt that and stop them from doing it, you have violated the natural law. So you can make arguments against murder and against violence and against stealing and a whole lot of things using natural law with, without even resorting to scripture. Why? Because as Paul says, every single human being knows about God, even if they've suppressed it. This knowledge is available to them. Right? Follow me on this. That's why Romans 1 is so key for us on this. Okay. I'm going to keep going here before I run out of time. There we go. I want to give you a, a kind of a quote. I'm pretty sure. Listen to Cicero. He's not a Christian. Not a Christian. Roman senator. Late Republic. Gets killed because he runs afoul of the new emperors, right? So Cicero, great orator. His orations were hugely influential um, for thousands of years. This is how you learn how to give a speech. Just read Cicero in Latin, okay? Look at what he says. True law is reason, right and natural, commanding people to fulfill their obligation and prohibiting and deterring them from doing wrong. Look what I underlined. This is Cicero, not a Christian. Its validity is universal. It is immediate and eternal. Its commands and prohibitions apply effectively to good men, and those uninfluenced by them are bad. Any attempt to supersede, I forgot an either, forgive me, this law, to repeal any part of it is sinful. To cancel it is entirely impossible. This is a non-Christian. And he gets it better than most Christians. <laughs> okay. So the ancient Greeks and Romans, the good ones anyways, not the ones that were just killing people in the arena or the Greeks that were confused, okay? I'm talking about the ones who actually thought deeply and were received by the kind of the great tradition sort of thing. Cicero is read in the church for these sort of thoughts, not because he's a Christian and not because it's scripture, but because he thought deeply about how does this work in civil society? How does this work when we live with each other? God's got it, God's got it made in the kingdom of the right, right? We know where we're going. We know our destination. But while we're on this earth, how should civil society function? According to Cicero, it should be according to universal natural law. Oh boy, can we not have that with the modern self? Because the modern self is going to say universal laws don't exist. What instead exists is you being your authentic you. Yeah, go for it, Mike. I, I, like, I like the term obligation. Yeah. And uh, where, where nowadays we hear all about my rights and rights and rights and rights. But nobody talks about an, an obligation we have to be you know, good citizens and and uh, and uh, good neighbors. Yeah, we have duties, yeah. moral rights, duties, responsibilities. That with you know that's the old uh, Spider-Man, right? With great uh, with great power comes great responsibility. Yeah. There's a lot of truth in that statement, actually. I'm not, I'm not big on comic book theology, but that one's good. <laughs> okay, with great we are, with great power comes great responsibility. Think about what God gives us in Genesis, right? Go and fill the earth and subdue it, right? Rule over all the beasts of the field, right? Talk about great power. 
then you also have great responsibility, right? Look at this body I've given you, right? This wonderful body I've given you. We have, you know, the, 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 the idea that I am fearfully and wonderfully made, as it says in the Psalms, I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. So how are we doing on that? You see what I mean? I mean, I mean, we, there's a responsibility or even more shockingly as Christians, our bodies are temples of the Holy Spirit. How are we doing on that? You see what I mean? So, I mean, that's response. That's, that's some responsibility. And, you know, I think we all recognize that we've all failed. <laughs> um, thanks. Thanks be to God that he's a God of grace and, you know, chance after chance after chance after chance, because if we're honest with ourselves, we've all failed both as stewards of the creation and as stewards of our own bodies. So that's, <laughs> It's, if, if there's anything, you know, I, I, I joked with my students the other day. I was like, you want proof that the autonomous self doesn't work? I just look in the mirror. <laughs> you know, you see, being your authentic you leads to failure. It's like, you know, I looked at myself two years ago and said, yep, my authentic me is not working. <laughs> and we all are, you know, that's actually another question, tactic. Hey, I'm just being my authentic self. And if you get them on the right moment, that, that, that individual you're talking to, always ask that question. How's that working for you? Always ask that question. And you'll find that a lot of people, when they're honest and they have a moment of introspection, when they're not just running, right? You know, not so well. <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I have a whole cup. Just wait. I have a ton of data for you later. All right. So I want to keep going. I promise what would you say? We'll see if we get to that. I want to kind of give you a little bit, some concluding thoughts on natural law. Okay. And you have a list of this. Natural law is objective. It means it applies to everyone everywhere. It's intrinsic. It's found within things. Okay. It's built into their design. Aristotle's famous example is an acorn. What is the telos, the design of an acorn? What's well, to become an oak tree? That's its design. That's its purpose. The acorn doesn't say, well, I feel like instead becoming, becoming a, a grass blade. It can't do that. So built in the acorn itself is the ability to become an oak tree. That's its design and purpose. Do you follow Aristotle on that? That means it's intrinsic to the object. It's objectively true. Okay. Natural law is biblical. I already kind of went through those texts with you. The kingdom of the left should should being the underlying, we always fail, govern accordingly. In other words, civil authorities, that's how we should govern, okay? Next couple things here, and I have these on here. The natural law is not the gospel, and this is important. You can't reason your way to salvation. Our reason is fallen. You still need special revelation. You need Christ. You need the scriptures. You need God's special revelation. Natural law is what we call general revelation. It's available to everyone. Special revelation, the gospel, word and sacrament, Christ, that is not something we can do on our own because our reason has fallen. We have a certain amount of free will this direction with each other, but this way, it's all God. Reformation Sunday, right? There's no merit in me that's going to earn this. This is all God thing. Even the faith itself that I have is a gift from God. That's, that's special revelation. Okay? Are you with me on that? That's special revelation. Natural revelation is available to everyone everywhere, and that's, that's key for us. So this is what I mean by natural. Is, are, you, are you following on this one? I'm trying to be as detailed as I can. I'm trying not to leave any of you in the desk because I speak this stuff all the time and I get going. But I'm saying that this is something that we need to recover as a church and actually speak to this about natural law and actually say, no, this still applies. And the thing is, is it applies to people even if you reject it. Mora universal morals and standards and duties, even if you would reject it, they still apply to you. You're just not, according to Cicero, you're instead failing to live up to your obligations. That's what's really going on. Okay, so we need to make sure that, again, I'm very passionate about this one and that we get this one right. <laughs> just, just wait, your son, second semester, he's going to get the whole fire hose on this one. He's going to get all this stuff. We spent, we spent a couple weeks on natural law because I showed them articles from, from people and stuff like that uh, in, the, in the school, in the high school for seniors. All right, 
So that's kind of my concluding thoughts on that. And I'm not going to have as much time, he says, and um, to do this. If you're going over to the church service, that's fine. And maybe I'll just end, maybe I'll start next week with the what would you say, which is the uh, um, just learning some of the terminology. They just go, what do people mean when they say words like expression and conformity and identity? And it's kind of like a, a one-on-one thing. We're going to do that. And then I'll pivot to back to Truman with some of these other things. But before I, I let us go, does anybody have any questions? Is this helpful, maybe? Okay, good. I'm just trying to, because I'm, I'm seeing nods. I'm just making sure I'm not leaving somebody in the dust or I'm making somebody mad and they're just, you know, stewing on it. Uh, I want to make sure that I address it. Yeah, go for it. Weeks <laughs> okay, okay. Write them down or email me and I can I can try to work them in, you know, work them into the class. I'm happy to kind of do like a, you know, a topic of the day and then go back to Truman or something. So let's go ahead and say the blessing on ourselves. The Lord bless us and keep us. The Lord make his face shine upon us and be gracious unto us. The Lord lift up his countenance upon us and give us peace. Amen. All right. See you next week. Yeah. If you have any questions or comments, email them to podcast at gracepocatello.org. And make sure to subscribe to our channel to stay up to date on sermons and classes at Grace Lutheran Church in Pocatello, Idaho. This podcast is designed so that you can take grace with you anywhere you go.